And go ahead and grab uh, a seat and grab your Bible, if you would, and turn to Matthew chapter 16. If you don't own a Bible or don't happen to have one with you, then if you look in the pew somewhere around you, there should be one that says the story on top of it. You're welcome to use that today. If you don't own one, you're welcome to take that home as our gift to you. What we ask in return is that you would, uh, in those first few pages that are printed in colors, when you get home, just read through those and and it'll give you a better explanation of what we believe the church is really all about. Um, and so if if after reading that you'd like to have more conversation, I'd love to do that and talk with you more about what those few, first few pages are about. Uh, I wanted to remind you, I made this announcement earlier, but wanted to make it again, that uh, because we believe that we exist to redeem the church and the community with the gospel of making disciples, we believe that discipleship happens big time in families and in, and in kids. And, and so we... We have uh, the hideouts every first and third Sunday of the month where the kids are in the hideout across the hall studying the same uh, lessons that we are here in the sanctuary. But then on the second, fourth, and fifth Sundays of the month, they'll be here in the sanctuary with us, and they've got kids' bulletins. Uh, if, if, if you are a kid and you don't have a bulletin, if you would, raise your hand and we'll, somebody will get one to you. Uh, we'll make sure we get a, a bulletin to you. We've got one that we need to get to um, anybody else need one? My son ended up being the one with that one. All right, all right Jaden needs one. Get one. We need a couple up here. All right, so there's some back there. There's some over here. If we could grab some and get those to them. Kids, if you'll turn in your bulletin to there, you'll see uh, we're going to be on, I think it's the third page of the bulletin um, in, in a little while where it says, what did Jesus say to Peter? Uh, but also during these times when the kids are in the worship service with us, we want to be intentional about that and let it be discipleship. And so uh, Ms. Brooke, our children's ministry volunteer coordinator, if I give it up for her real quick, has put together uh, the kids zone over here. We've got some volunteers that are hanging out with the kids. We've got some activity bags that have some things for them to do. Those bags, by the way, kids, are to stay in the kids zone when you leave church today. Um, and so you, you're welcome to play with those during church, but then after church, if you'll leave uh, your, your activity bags in the kids' zone, that would be helpful. There's also a rock in there. Please don't play with that. Hold on to that. We're going to bring that into the sermon in a little while. Um, but listen, I, I'd give that long intro and, and, and explanation there because... Uh, I think sometimes when we have kids in church with us, we think they're just a distraction. And I want you to understand they're not a distraction. This is discipleship. This is pouring into kids and let them sing the songs we sing and hear the sermon we hear because I promise you they absorb more than you think they do. Uh, and they absorb some by watching you, by watching you worship and watch, watching you take notes and watching you be a part of that. And we, want, we also want to equip you to have conversations at home. Take that kid's bulletin with you. Have some conversations deeper. There's some stuff in there that you guys could talk through as it goes through this passage as well. Um, I don't know if you guys know the difference between implosion and explosion. Anybody know the difference between implosion and explosion? The difference is when you're talking about demolition, a good engineer versus a bad engineer, right? And so when you're wanting to take a building down, then you have to design explosive charges throughout that building in such a way that it properly implodes the building, not explodes the building, right? Because the difference would be drastic. Years ago in Detroit, they tried to take down a stadium and they put charges all around and unfortunately it did not fully 
fall when they originally did it because the inner beams were stronger than they anticipated. Um, I want to tell you that um, if, if you didn't know what you were doing, like myself, and you were put in charge of being the demolition engineer for a building, uh, if you put me in charge, there's a really large chance it's going to be an explosion and not an implosion. Now, when Jesus starts his church, his gathering of people, we see that it is an explosion. As a matter of fact, when Jesus builds you, when Jesus adopts you into his family, our desire is that you would be an explosive Christian. And here's what I mean by that. When, when an implosion happens, it, it happens with minimal consequence. The reason that they design this, it to do this way in a demolition is because it's usually around a bunch of other buildings and people, and they design it to have as minimal impact as possible on everyone and everything around it. Does that make sense? That's why, we des- that's why they design it to come in on itself. See, some of us have treated Christianity this way. We, we've walked an aisle, we've gotten baptized, and we've gotten saved, and, and it's had minimal impact on those around us and, and, and our, our resources and atmosphere around us and sphere of influence, it's, it's had very little impact. And some of us have even so strategically engineered and designed our Christian life that it really has minimal impact on anything outside of what you're doing right now. Sunday morning is where it all kind of implodes in. And here's where you see the, the power and the excitement happen. But when you leave, there's intentionally designed minimal impact on what happens to you the rest of the day and tomorrow. I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you today to be an explosive Christian and have maximum impact, positive, maximum impact on those around you because of what Jesus does in your life. Um, and so if you would stand with me as, as we read God's word. We're going to read Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 26, as we see the beginnings of the charges being set for an explosive movement of Christianity. Starting in verse 13. Now when Jesus came to the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, and others Elijah and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he said to them, Who do you, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. And from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed, and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him to the side and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world 
and forfeits his soul. What shall a man give in return for his soul? You may be seated. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Lord, I need you this morning. This message is so important. Lord, I don't desire to be persuasive in my own right or eloquent. Lord, I am begging you that your Holy Spirit would ignite something in us this morning. We would understand who, who we are as your church. Lord, that you would, in mighty ways, make much of your name through us. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. What's fascinating about this, our main idea for this morning, our sermon in a sentence, is the church of the church is God's plan to bring redemption to the brokenness of the world. And it's fascinating if that would even be true. Because he doesn't need us. I mean, God could do all this on his own. When he, when he fed 5,000, he still used the little boy. When, 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 he, when he wanted the Ethiopian eunuch to, to know who he was, he sent Philip. When he wanted Saul, the persecutor, to come to know Christ, he sent him to a house and had Ananias come to him. That, that God would use us for the redemption of the world is fascinating. I want to tell you that that's, that's his plan. The, plan. the plan of Christ to bring redemption to the world is the church. Um, as we look at this, in our Bible study group, the, the main idea of the lesson was the church was born as an explosive movement, and it is still moving. By God's grace, we can be a part of such a movement. And we were talking in our Bible study group how it's even more than really even a movement. I mean, this, is, this is an act of the divine creator of the world because even movements die. But this doesn't die. Every time anyone's tried to kill the church, all they've done is strengthen it. The church is growing like crazy in places all over the world where people and governments and systems are actively trying to shut it down. You go to the Middle East and if you were to really find your way into a a, a gathering of true believers, you would see something that would blow your mind. If you were to go to China and go to a secret underground church, what you would witness would blow your mind. The only place that the church appears to be dying is here in our very own country. In our denomination, Southern Baptist, we close on average right now over 900 buildings and organizations that call themselves churches a year. A year. Several this week will shut their doors, sell the property, no longer be a light for the gospel. And it's complacency that kills it. But understand, it only kills a little organization. You cannot kill the body of Christ. You cannot. Now, we have an opportunity to be a part of what God is doing in this world. When we look at this passage, one of the first things we see, the the foundational truth of this whole thing is, who do you say that he is? See, the whole thing kind of starts there. We can't, we can't make this about anything or anyone else other than Jesus. 
This is his church. This is not my church. This is not your church. This is his church. This is a local expression of the body of Christ, and he is the head. We can't make it about anything else. We can't make it about feeling good. We can't make it about meeting your needs. We can't make it about feeding you. We can't make it about any of these things that we try to seek church to be for us. We can't make it about being anything other than Jesus. So we have to ask ourselves, who do you say that he is? And not just with your mouth, but who do you really, with your life, say that he is? Look at verses 13 through 18 again. It says, now when Jesus came in the district of Caesarea Philippi, he's been, as usual, kind of having some situations with the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the religious leaders. And, and so they kind of step aside with just the disciples. And as he steps aside with them, he asks them, who do, you, who do people say the Son of Man is? As, as we're going about, and as the crowds gather, and as people are being healed, and as people are being fed, and as these religious leaders are debating me, and as all these things are happening, as you guys are walking around the crowd and you listen, who do people say that I am, the Son of Man? And I said, well, some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but, but who do you say that I am? Now, he's not just talking to Peter here. That, that you is, is plural. If you're, if you're from the south, it's y'all. If you're not, it's you guys. Who do you, plural, say that I am? All of you. Who, do, who are you saying? Who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter, of course, the first one to speak, says, you are the Christ the son of the living God. And every once in a while, Peter gets it right. Every once in a while, man, he nails it, right? I mean, it's almost the law of averages. You talk enough, eventually you're gonna get something right. Every once in a while, he gets something right. But then Jesus says, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. You didn't know this on your own, but my father who is in heaven, and I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. You can't know the son of God on your own. I can't teach you seven ways to a better marriage here on Sunday morning and, and, and let that just hopefully introduce you to Jesus. If you've been here long enough, you may feel like I preach the same message every Sunday. To some degree, I do, and that's intentional because every time I stand here and open the word of God, my goal is to take you to Jesus. My goal is to take you to the son of God that said that he loved you so much that he would come into this world and die a gruesome death so that you could be adopted into his family. You could be a part of his church. You could be redeemed and forgiven and used by him and sent out to make much of his name. Because that's what this whole thing is about. See, we can't build it on anything else other than that. See, the, the, as a church, we've got to figure out how to not chase all these things, right? We can't, listen, there's a temptation. If you, if you haven't been here for a while, you may not know. This is a, this is a effort in, in what you may call church revitalization or replanting. In other words, we're, man, we're bringing a church that, that was in danger of being one of those 900 of closing the doors and, and we're, we're working and, and trying to follow Jesus to, to use this church, this building, this location for the name of Jesus Christ. 
But we got to be careful what we chase. It can be real tempting to think, man, if we just had an amazing children's ministry, a killer youth ministry, the best worship band, a better preacher, I'll give you what I got. If we just had these things, then maybe, maybe our numbers would be better. You know, this, this, this sanctuary sits maybe 350 people and, and it can feel like, man, there's not a whole lot of people here when you look around and, and, you, and you may think, man, why aren't we fuller? And I have people ask me that. I want to tell you, I'm really honestly not as concerned with that as why aren't we fuller of the Holy Spirit? See, when you look at the Old Testament, when they were in the wilderness and they had the tabernacle, what did the tabernacle follow? It followed the pillar of fire. See, the pillar of fire would go before them, and that's how they knew where to go. We, we as a church must be like the tabernacle and follow the Holy Spirit. We must follow where Jesus leads us to go because he is the head of this church. This is his church. Martin Luther King Jr. tomorrow is... Uh, Martin Luther King, King Jr. Day, and one of the things he said, he says, it is our job as ministers to bring the church back to the center of the human race. But we can only bring the church back to the center of the human race when we bring Christ back to the center of the church. At the end of our sermon time today, during the response, and I give you a head up, heads up this morning, we are going to collectively pray for our church and the church. And we're going to ask, we're going to ask and we're going to sing, Jesus, would you be the center of this church? Jesus, would you be the center of my life? This has got to be what we chase. This has got to be our pursuit as a church. Last week we talked about how our greatest pursuit as an individual is to love God with everything in us, that it's not only the greatest command, but the greatest pleasure of the light in the life of a disciple. Well, this week I want to tell you as, as a body, as a local expression of the body of Christ, we need to be chasing that Jesus be the center of this church, that he drive everything that we do as a church. Next question for you. Well, I forgot. I need to end. I need to give you fill in the blanks there. That the church begins and ends with Christ. The church begins with a confession of Christ. It finds its existence and its purpose in Christ. And the end, the, the means to an end, the means is Christ and the end is Christ. Church begins and ends with Christ. But then we have to ask who does He say that you are? Who do you say that He is in your life? And, and, and I don't mean by your attendance, I mean by what are, you, what are you doing tomorrow? What are you doing this afternoon? What are you doing Tuesday? And what does that say about who you really believe Jesus is? But also, who does Jesus say that you are? What does he say about you? Matthew 16, 18, again, it says, And I tell you, you are Peter. He renames him. And on this rock, Peter, I, Petra, I, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. See, as, as, as Jesus builds us, the church, he gives us, Jesus gives us a new identity. 
We've talked about this a lot, that, that you are no longer who you once were when you are in Christ. The old is gone and the new has begun. Although the, the church itself needs to be explosive and we need to be explosive as Christians first, first we must go through a demolition. See, a demolition team, they, they have to place explosives at the foot of the building's center of support in order to bring it down. They, you, have to, you have to understand this. In order to properly bring down a building, according to my limited Google research, You have to take out the foundation. As followers of Christ, when we become a member of the body of Christ, not a member of redemption, a member of the body, the whole body, the capital C church, when we are adopted in his family, there are explosive charges put at the foundation of who we are. And the old life is gone. And the new life has begun. Now the problem is we live in a broken world and a lot of that stuff still sticks around. We're a lot like that stadium in Detroit that wouldn't go down easily. Because sometimes we root our foundation so much and when we, when we submit our lives to Jesus, if we're honest enough to admit it or even self-aware enough to know it, we'll realize that honestly, we want the good that Jesus brings, but we want to hold on to some of who we think we are anyway. Even though he's offering us better, even though he's offering us a great exchange, even though he's offering us to everything that he inherits, we get to inherit, Romans 8 says, even though he offers us that, we still kind of cling to who we think we're supposed to be. And we hold on to these things. And I, listen, the only way we can truly be explosive for Christ is let him implode our old identity. He's got to, to the very core and foundation of who we are, kind of rebuild. See, we have to deconstruct things sometimes in order to be able to reconstruct things. In order to really make a difference in a building or in things at times, we've got to take down what is old in order to be able to rebuild something new. And this is what Jesus does with us, church. At the very foundation of who you are, you have to submit yourself to the word of God, the living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, and let it cut you, let it sculpt you. Jesus must be the foundation of all that we do and the purpose behind everything that we do. If we ever get away from making Christ known and glorifying him, then every program we have, no matter how moral it is, will naturally collapse because it's not built on the foundation of Jesus Christ. We have to submit ourselves. See, Jesus gives Peter a new identity. Kids, you got your bulletin? Anybody fill out that third page? Anybody finish it yet? Raise your hand if you, if you finish the third page. All right. So on three, I want you to tell me what it says on the third page, and then we'll bring it up on the screen. All right? One, two, three, go. All right, all right, so put it up on the screen. All right, we're going to all say it together. Everybody ready? On, on three, we're all going to do it together. One, two, three. I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock, I will build my church. See, Jesus will build his church on people like Peter. 
kids, I want you to grab that rock and I want you to hold on to it. And while you're holding on to it, I want you to take a crayon and I want you to write your name on that rock. Write your name on that rock. Because I want you to understand something, church, and I want our kids to get this with that rock. Jesus will build his church on people like Peter. Now, we could at this time get into the whole deep discussion of what exactly does Jesus mean when he says that he's going to build the church on Peter. And this is where theologically there's lots of great debate. Thousands of people over thousands of years have written thousands of pages debating all sorts of things with the establishment of the Pope and the Catholic Church or what is the difference between the, the words used for Peter and rock and the Greek and, and all these things. I'm going to tell you, we're not going to dive into all that this morning. If you, if you want to discuss that further, schedule an appointment with me, buy me lunch somewhere, and I will go as deep into that as you like, depending on where we go to lunch. But here's what you need to know that Jesus uses people like Peter to build his church. And hey, kids, listen, have I got their rock? I want you to hold your rock up. The reason I want you to put your name on it is when you see that, kids, I want you to be encouraged by something. Jesus will build his church on people like you. Amen, church? All right, you can put that down. Don't throw that at anybody. This is not David and Goliath week. But listen, not only the kids, listen to me, you. Jesus will build his church on people like you. I, Pastor, I, you don't even know the addictions I struggle with. Jesus will build his church on people like you. Well, you, don't, you don't know my past. You don't know what I've done. Jesus will build his church on people like you. See, I want you to notice something. Jesus calls Peter by three different names in this passage. First, he says, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah. Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah. Bar-Jonah means his dad's name was either Jonah or John, and it means Simon, son of John or Jonah. Blessed are you for your past. Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, in who you are. Blessed are you, Simon who your father named you to be, who you followed. That's why you're a fisherman, because your dad was a fisherman. There weren't guidance counselors or assessment tests to figure out what you should do for a living. If you were a young man, you watched what your dad did, and whatever he did, that's what you were going to do. Unless you were selected to be a religious leader, you just did whatever dad did. Simon Barjona, blessed are you, fisherman. Blessed are you in your past understanding where you come from and who you are. See, Jesus knows exactly where you come from. He knows exactly what you've done. He knows exactly what your past is. And Jesus will build his church on people like you. Will he build it on you? I don't know. Are you a part of his church? If so, he'll build his church on you, on people like you, but also then he calls him Peter. He redeems him for a new purpose, and, and he takes Simon Barjona. He says, "Blessed are you, Simon Barjona." But I will now call you Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. And he names him Rock. 
And we think of rocks, we think of steadiness, we think of a firmness. Jesus says at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, if you build your house on the sand, then when the storm comes, it'll shift. But if you build it on the rock, then it'll stay. When we look at the rest of the life of Peter, do you really think firm foundation? Do you think steady and faithful? See, the third name that Jesus calls him doesn't take him long to get there. Just a few verses after praising him so highly, he calls him Satan. See, real quickly, Peter disqualifies himself. But how does he disqualify himself? He disqualifies himself when Jesus says, hey, I'm going to submit myself to religious leaders who are going to kill me. And Peter, look, and this is not, it's not horrible. It's not, we, don't, we don't look at this and go, what a, what a horrible thing to say. I think many of us would have at least thought the same things. Peter just says what he thinks. And he goes, no, I'll never let that happen to you. I love you so much. I would never let that happen to you. But here's what we've got to get. We've got to stop thinking that Christianity is all about butterflies and rainbows and, and everything goes perfect. We've got to stop thinking that Christianity is about always everything playing out well for you, that your best life will be right now because it won't be. We've got to stop thinking that Christianity is all those things. We've got to understand that Christianity is going to be suffering sometimes. That Christianity is going to be trials and tribulations. As a matter of fact, sometimes following Jesus will bring you greater suffering than not following Jesus. And why does he call him Satan? He says, because you're trying to hinder my plan. Church, our temptation sometimes is to make this about something that it's not. And I mean our life and the direction of a church. See, we want it to be comfortable and we want it to be easy. But that's never what he's called us to. When we're on the side of Jesus, we follow him no matter where he tells us to go. And a lot of times it's not going to be where we want to go and it's not going to be doing what we want to do. But like we talked about last week, loving God with everything in us is not only the greatest command, it's also the greatest pleasure in the life of a disciple. And this is how we chase joy. Jesus loves his church. Matthew 16, 20 through 23. He does something really weird. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. It's like an anti-evangelism message. Coming from Jesus. What if, we, what if we painted that verse on the side of our building? Right? That'd be horrible. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised And then Peter takes him aside and begins to rebuke him. We love to rebuke Jesus sometimes and says, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. See, Jesus loves his church more than his comfort. Jesus loves his church with both passion and patience. Patience because he says, look, don't go tell anybody I'm the Christ yet. 
because it's not my time. See, Jesus, Jesus is God. He knows everything. He knows that, yes, it's going to be miserable to go through that week, that passion week of the cross and everything that that entails. But he also knows that, man, on the other end of that, the other side of that, he gets to go back to heaven. On the other side of that, things are about to get a lot better for him. So if I'm Jesus, knowing that as much as he knows it, there's going to be a real temptation to kind of speed this thing up a little bit. Yeah, let's go ahead and tell everybody I'm the Christ. Let's let them go ahead and crucify me so that I can go ahead and go back home with my father and not deal with all you morons anymore. I spent three years telling you what's going on and you miss it. Had to have been incredibly frustrating for him. He says, no, with, listen, with patience, he loves his church. Hey, don't tell anybody yet. It's not my hour yet. I still have things I need, I need to do before I get there. But then he loves him with passion. I mean, an unbelievable sacrificial passion, a suffering passion, a willingness to submit himself to his own creation and be subject to it for a short moment of history so that for the rest of time, his creation would have an opportunity to live with him in communion with him. Think of, think of the famous analogy that Paul gives us in Ephesians 5 that we use in, in premarital counseling, we use it in weddings, and, and it's this whole how, how a husband and wife are to interact with each other, but don't miss that at the end of that, even then, Paul says, but this whole thing's really been about Jesus. You see, what does he tell the man? You are to love your wife. What's the, what's the bar given to the man? As Jesus loves his church. So we're not diving just into the application of how to love your wives right now today. We can have another conversation about that another time, and and you should pursue to do that. But but catch, catch why Paul even does this. Not so that you can have a great marriage. See, when I said that the church begins and ends with Jesus, we got to... We've got to remember that our lives begin and end with Jesus, that the, the end matters more than the means, but the means were given to us by the end in order to accomplish the end. And what I mean by that is that if our goal is to have a good marriage, I'm going to tell you what, you might pull off decent. If your goal is to have a good marriage, then you might pull off a decent marriage. But if your goal is to honor and glorify God through the means of which he has created, I think you can truly have a great marriage if you live this out for the purpose of bringing honor and glory to God because that's what Paul writes the whole thing about. But when we pursue marriage for ourselves, we'll find that our spouses make crummy gods. Our spouses don't fulfill us as much as we really think we do. Single people, hear me. You think, you think Once you get married, boy, it's just going to make everything else work a lot better. All the married people chuckle. Even the ones that still love each other. Because your spouse will make a crummy God. They're not the end of all things. Our, Our God is the end of it all. And we as a church, we are called to love His church with passion and patience. See, this is our, our value statement we make about this as a church. That we are called to love His church with passion and patience. Look at verses 24 through 26. 
And then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. See, Jesus has just told them, here's how it's going to go down for me. Peter says, no, we're not going to let that happen to you because you're supposed to be highly exalted here on earth. You're supposed to be the king. You're supposed to be the ruler and we won't let anybody take you out. And Jesus says, not only are you Satan because you're trying to hinder me in what I'm doing, you're trying to make it about something that it's not. If you want to follow me, then this story doesn't end uniquely with Jesus. Matter of fact, he says, if you want to follow me, then you've got to deny yourself. You've got to take up your cross and follow Jesus for whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? In demolition, um, there are some buildings you're not allowed to demolish because they're protected by historical societies. We have some of those here in Jacksonville. Lakeshore Historical Society, you'll see the signs, right? Riverside Historical Society. You'll you'll see these little signs that go on the houses. And there's actually laws that go with those, like on what you're allowed to do with that house or building, what you're not allowed. There's certain things you can change on that house. There's certain things you can't change if you wanted to renovate it um, because you've got to preserve the historical significance of that building. You guys familiar with that? You tracking with me? We do that with our lives and our churches. We, we, we assume this historical significance of the way that things are done. We assume a historical significance on the way that we do life, on the way that we operate church. And we kind of put our signs up on certain pillars and foundational columns in our lives and say, God, you're not allowed to blow this one up. You're welcome to blow up all these other areas of my life. You're welcome to blow up and take out of my hands my marriage because I have no idea what I'm doing there. You're welcome to blow up and take my finances because I certainly don't know how to manage them. You're welcome to take and blow up my addictions because I want them out of my life or my problems and my struggles and my temptations because I want them out of my life. But there's certain areas, God. I don't know if you saw that sign. The Jimbo Historical Society. But God, that pillar, you're not allowed to touch that one. Keep your dynamite away from there. See, as a church, until we're willing as individuals to take down our historical society signs and let Jesus put his charges wherever he wants. Listen to me. Wherever he wants, in your life and in this church, then we will keep worshiping the past. This is his church. You are his child. We submit ourselves to him and him alone. And it has to be a blank check. It has to be. And it has to be stepping away and letting him put charges wherever he wants. I knew a young lady I've told many of you this story before. It just came to me with this passage. A young lady from China, first church I served at, they got saved. She was a Buddhist. Shortly after she got saved, she came to me and my wife and said that she was grateful that she learned about Jesus. You've heard this story before. If you have, just 
pretend like it's new. But she said, because here's, here's the thing, and I, this, this rings in my head often. That's why I bring it up. She came to me and my wife, she said, thank you for introducing me to Jesus. Greatest thing that ever happened to me. But I got to find a new church. Because I need to be around people that realize how great it is what Jesus has done for them. See, she had gotten saved from a Buddhist background and it, it was explosive in her life. And then she would come to a building where everyone was putting up historical society signs on their life and all these different areas and, and the impact was only implosive and it only impacted themselves and she just couldn't hold it in. She, she could not contain the power of what Jesus was doing in her life and so she thought, I gotta find somewhere else where other people have experienced Jesus like I have. You know what happened several months later? She hadn't found one. So she started a Chinese Bible study, which today is a Chinese church. And she's now a missionary back home in China because she let her life be an explosive impact for the name of Jesus Christ. See, first we've got to allow God to bring a demolition implosion into our old identity. And then with our new identity, we submit ourselves to be explosive for the name of Christ. One more Martin Luther King Jr. quote. He says, the contemporary church, this was obviously written a long time ago. The contemporary church is so often a weak, ineffectual voice with an uncertain sound. It is so often the arch supporter of the status quo, far from being Disturbed by the presence of the church, the power structure of the average community is consoled by the church's often vocal sanction of things as they are. Let's take down the historical society signs in our lives and submit our lives to Christ. And then lastly, as we lead into our response time, we participate in the building of His church with prayer. So what do you do? Well, in your own individual life, you need to take down the historical society signs. You need to ask Jesus to bring demolition to the things in your life that don't look like him. And then what do we do as a church? How do we build this church? Is it, is it a solid youth program, a solid children's program, a solid worship program? Is it better small groups? Is it better marketing? Is it a better website? Is it all those things? And listen, we should try for those things. We should try to be excellent in all the things that we do. But will those things build the church of Jesus Christ? No. I want you to look at something fascinating. Earlier in the book of Matthew, this is our last passage. Matthew 9, 35 through 38. Pay attention to what Jesus is doing and then pay attention to what he tells us to do. First, what is Jesus doing? It says, And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. I mean, what Jesus is doing is explosive. It's massive. There's this huge impact. Everywhere he goes, people are being healed. He's teaching. He's preaching. And then when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless. And so they looked like sheep without a shepherd. So what does he tell his disciples to do? Listen. And then he said to his disciples, and this still rings true today, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. So what are they to do about that? Work hard, recruit a volunteer campaign, build a new building, start a new ministry. 
Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Revival started in this church not the day I showed up. I had nothing to do with anything that's happened good in this church. I had a lot to do with a lot of the negative things that have happened over the last four years. You know where it started? Our senior ladies who started coming down every Sunday morning during the invitation and begging God to do something. That's where it started. That's where it'll continue. It's with us praying. See, Jesus is doing all these amazing things. He doesn't say, man, the harvest is plentiful and the labors are few. So, man, guys, get out there and start healing people. Man, get out there and start preaching in the synagogues. Go to the streets and yell with a bullhorn. It's not what he says. What he says is the harvest is plentiful and the labors are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest that he would send out his labors because this is his church. Not mine and not yours. This is his church. And so I want us to pray for the lost because there's plenty around us. We've talked about the math. According to the best we can do on demographics within a three-mile radius of here, three-mile walk, there are 60,000. Now, I promise you this is a conservative estimate. 60,000 lost people in a three-mile radius of here. Pray for the lost, that they would come to know Jesus. Pray for the last, the least. In Matthew 25, this is how Jesus judges what the church has done, what they've done with the lost, the last, and the least. And then as he says here, let's pray for the laborers and let's trust God. Let's trust God for the purpose of his church. It is his, but let's also trust him for the plan. I'm going to do everything I can to lead you as well as I possibly can. Chuck, as an elder, is going to do everything he can to lead you as well as he can. Other leaders in this church in different areas are going to do everything they can to lead us well. But listen, we've got to trust God for the plan. And so, I'm going to say a quick little prayer. Let the band come up. And then I'm just going to get on my knees. Not as a show, because I am genuinely burdened. Burdened. That Jesus would be the center of this church. It is my heart's desire, and I will give my life to it. And I'm asking that you would join me in prayer for that, and join me in action for that. Let's pray for the last, the lost, the least. And let's pray for laborers. Let's pray for God to send laborers, not just for Redemption Church, but for His church. Let's pray for the city of Jacksonville. Pray for the state of Florida. Pray for our country. Pray, pray for our world. And, and listen, let's, let's, for a moment, for a moment, let's not pray for illnesses. Let's not pray for our government. Let's not pray for the Jaguars. Let's not pray for any of those things. Right now, in this moment, let's, let's pray for the body, the bride of Jesus Christ. And that's it. And then after, after I've 
knelt and I've prayed and begged God to move here, I'll stand right here. And if you've got addictions that you need to confess, habitual sin that needs to be brought out of the light, if you are the lost and we're praying for you, then come talk to me. Come pray with me or, or Pastor Chris or Pastor Chuck and, and let's pray and let's, let's let God do what God can do. But church, would you join me in begging God to move? Lord God Almighty, Lord, you are the creator of the universe. And you hold the world in your hands. And I am not even remotely adequate. Lord, I am broken and I am burdened. Lord, I'm asking you that you would be the center of this church. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.